Hey, everyone. My unqualified co-host for the day is the amazing Emily Hampshire, who you know from Schitt's Creek, 12 Monkeys, and a ton of other things. Emily and I talk with a listener whose proposal to his wife was a disaster, even though she did say yes. Then we talk with a young woman whose new boyfriend might be intimidated by her previous sexual partners. I really hope you like the episode. All right, here she is, Emily Hampshire. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. I was just listening to your podcast with Demi Lovato, and you are so thoughtful and intelligent and compassionate. Thank you. I actually just, and I'm so sorry I'm late to the party on this. I'm late to the party on a lot of things except for murder podcasts. So I started with your Ashley Flowers podcast, um, but I don't really listen to anything but murder. And so I've just started listening to yours. And now, like, I can listen to your voice all day, all night. Yes. And I think... It's kind of what I I like about Demi's podcast, which I was surprised by when I first heard it. It's just these really thoughtful conversations. And that's what I found with yours. And I, I love it. So I'm very honored to be on it. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for doing this. And I am really excited about our callers. But before we talk to them, what was your first love like? Oh my gosh. Like my first real love and not like elementary school, Cory Nato, Kiss Behind the Church. I like it that you were romantic early on. Yes, very early, like grade four. Me too. And it was like a public event. <laughs> it was it was like we were going to French kiss. And that was like I practiced. I, and the whole school knew. Yes, yes. And everybody came to watch. And uh, I think it went well. That's I hot. Mean, <laughs> His wife talks to me now. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she does. She she Instagrammed me, and I love her. She's hot. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, we did. We kissed. We French kissed. In retrospect, it was terrible. But at the time, I thought it was everything. <laughs> I think fourth grade is, like, that's advanced for tongue. Oh, very, very. I'm an uh, overachiever. <laughs> um, but I, um, my first love. I mean, my first real big relationship was when I was 17, but we said 18, to a guy who was much older than me, a director. And we were together for 10 years, but it was definitely an education. It was somebody who I loved, but in a different way. I don't think I knew like true love then without all the need and stuff wrapped up in it. I feel like most people feel that intense love around that age, like 17 to 19, mm -hmm. where it is so consuming and passionate. And it's almost less about the partner than it is about the tidal wave of emotion. 100%. And for me, it was... And I don't, it's not discounting anything about him, but that age is when it's a, a different teenagehood. At least for me, I feel like I had a couple of adolescences and that one was really like 
discovering myself as an independent person, as a as an actor. I mean, it definitely was a relationship of art and making movies. And it was the first movie I did, and he was the director. It's very classic. Um, well, what about the power dynamic? I mean, I would assume just with, like, the practicality of the situation. Oh, yeah, that relationship would never happen now. It would never in a million years happen now. And there was nothing bad about it or anything. However, the world has changed, and that power dynamic would not have been okay, even though, you know, he was the director of my first big movie and I was in love with him. I was infatuated with him. But I think what we know now is that when your 16-year-old actor is in love with you and you're like 35 or something, you don't go there, even though 100% this guy was great stand-up guy. It really was an important relationship. I always think that, like, your massive life decisions start as, like, this tiny subconscious seed somewhere in the back of your brain, and then it eventually, like, starts to grow without you even realizing it. And then one day you're like, oh, shit, this tree is sprouted, and this decision is, like, hitting me hard. That's so interesting because I've always thought of that in terms of like when you're in a relationship and you stay in it way longer than you know you should. And it's because you swallowed that seed that you didn't talk about for the longest time. And it has grown into this thing inside you that you can no longer suppress. Yeah, I've found that. But no, so (laughs) this is kind of a strange but true story. We were together for 10 years and near the end of that relationship, I told him, you know, I'd never been to a bar or met some guy that I just wanted to like sleep with and do that kind of thing. And I was feeling the age difference. And I I told him this basically because he was probably like my father. Um, I told him this and he said, why don't we try an open relationship? Oh, wow. That's a cautionary tale. Because when somebody says, why don't we try an open relationship after a 10 year relationship? it's going to end. So that night, I'd never lived with him. I always lived with my best friend, Jacob. And I went online to, it was very early days of internet dating. I mean, there was this site called nerve.com, which was kind of a music site, but it had this sidebar of dating stuff that I knew friends of mine were on. And Jacob wrote my profile, made me sound very well read. And I said I was in a relationship and I was looking for somebody just like my age, And the next day I got a wink because that was like the like currency of that dating site. And it was from a guy whose screen name was David Brent. And at the time, if you knew who David Brent was, that's like the original office. Ricky Gervais's character's name was David Brent. Of course. Oh, my God. And so I was like, if somebody's screen name is David Brent, they must be in Canada. Must be really cool. Have like an underground DVD of this. This was a long time ago. And we started talking. Turns out he was from England, but living in Boston, nowhere near me. That was an algorithm that did not work. And we talked for like two weeks. He came to visit me in Toronto. It was love at first sight. We went back and forth. And then he asked me to marry him like three months later. And I said, yes, I married the first person who cyber winked at me. Holy shit. You sound just like me. <laughs> <laughs> We were together for eight years, though, and it was 
a wonderful relationship at that time. Like, I feel like I picked great people, but it ended. So, Emily, with the original guy then, did you immediately end it because of David? Uh, David, that's so funny. Um, It's so weird to think of now because I really... I thought he was going to walk me down the aisle. My ex, I was so attached to that relationship and I didn't understand why everyone in my life thought that was weird. Um, Especially my new-to-be husband. And so I told him and he said he was heartbroken and I didn't know what that was at the time. I'd never been heartbroken. And now I remember the first time I was heartbroken, I thought of that and I felt so bad. Like just to think that I would ever hurt somebody like that. But yeah, I told him and we broke up and it was very hard, but I think harder for him because it's always kind of easier on the one who moves on. You have survivor's guilt. And so I do think my ex-husband was probably my first love, love, like adult love. And then how did you get over that? That was really difficult (laughs) because it was complicated why things ended. But what was complicated was that we loved each other so much and we were best of friends. And there's something a little sometimes harder about breaking up with somebody that you still care about and love. You kind of want somebody to like do something bad. And like that was really hard. And it took me years. Actually, that thing of when people say it takes half the time of the relationship to get over it. That was true for me. It was also like I'd never been on a date before. I went from one 10-year relationship and then I got married for eight years. So yeah, I was lost for a while. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Did you have moments of romanticizing it and wanting to get back together or craving the security? I think that takes a lot of strength to fight those feelings and continue forward with, like, independence. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say it was strength that kept me, but he did fall in love with somebody else. And so I never thought I would have gotten divorced, even though I think we were both unhappy in the marriage. But I initially was the one pushing it to end. And then it kind of switched on me. And I think what was so hard was, I guess, my feelings of like all the things I did wrong. Everything was and still is work first for me. And I think that was a difficult thing when, you know, you're away for a year. And the one thing that makes me still to this day burst into tears when I'm alone is my ex-husband had for, it was my birthday and I was in New York for the premiere of this movie. And it was an exciting premiere for me. And he had sent me a gift and I was getting my hair and makeup done and I hadn't opened it yet. And he called me and he was like, did you get it? And I'm like, yeah, I haven't had the chance to open it. And he's like, well, what are you doing that you can't open it? And I was like, I was so consumed in my thing. And yeah, but at the time I didn't think it was that 
big a deal. And then I opened it and it was all these like, I like products and stuff. So it was all these new products that I hadn't heard of yet. It was like Tata Harper and all these things that... That's a good gift. Right? Hadn't come out yet. What to this day has like made me upset every time is when I would go into Sephora and I'd see that new product that I got from him just launch. That's, <laughs> I'd start crying in Sephora, like sobbing, because I felt so guilty that I didn't appreciate it enough. I mean, I was grateful and appreciated it, but I cared more about my premiere. I did. I think that I'm the same way, that you carry that guilt of hurting somebody or letting them down in some way or trying to make a bad thing work, like the whole gamut that yeah. a lot of us carry that keeps us in a relationship. We also can convince ourselves, I think, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I never articulated any issues in my relationships to any of my friends or family. I've always felt like I got this down. Don't worry about me. I'm in a great relationship. And everything is fine. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I think like through our 20s and 30s, if you want to succeed in this industry, you really have to fucking prioritize it. Yeah. And that is something that's, I think, hard for some people to understand. But for me, it made me want to be in a secure relationship because there was so much insecurity with the job. Mm, yeah. And I've been an actor my entire life. So, you know, what's very interesting, and this does come from relationship breakups, is that the last relationship, I think, was harder than my marriage. It was shorter, but it was a harder breakup for me. And I think it was because I'd completely lost myself. And I did a lot of therapy to find an actual sense of self and to feel entitled to have any needs and to do stuff for myself. Like, I'm very Canadian, and I was raised that, like, the other person is more important than you, always. If you want something, but they want something, what they want is more important. And it took a lot of expensive therapy to get that. Was your last relationship, I don't know if you said intense, but would you describe it as that, like shorter but more concentrated? hundred percent. Yes, it was also definitely more concentrated. And I think when the lesbian cliche, like I U-Haul trucked, moved in right away, we were getting married, we were having kids. And I think the breakup was more intense for me just because I never really figured out who I was in between that time of the breakup of my marriage and then meeting the next person I fell in love with. And I thought I'd never fall in love again after my marriage. It was never going to happen. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know it's never going to happen. Now I know. Then I was like, it's never going to Now I am actively, Demi and I were talking about this. It's taken me so long to actually like feel confident that I'm so afraid to get into a relationship and just give myself up and do everything for the other person. I think that's really strong. And I think it's a great place for you because, like you said, you didn't give yourself that time. Yeah, I didn't. But it sounds like you're also probably a great person to be in a relationship with. <laughs> uh, you know... I don't think I, no ex has hated me. And I definitely can feel good about how I left relationships. <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. Anyways, yeah. Before we talk to Tyler, 
What qualities do you look for in a romantic partner? It's so weird because I have vowed to never have a romantic partner again. Not sexually, I'll sleep with people, but I'm so adamantly against it for myself right now. But if I do, it's this very, very profound authenticity because I can think if there's one thing, though, that does connect the people that I'm attracted to is that they're just so real. Like my ex-husband, what I remember falling in love with was that he had no airs about him, like to the point where he just always say the true thing and it didn't matter what anybody else thought and he wasn't rude ever. He was just honest about himself to a point where most people would be like embarrassed to say something like that or whatever. He was just like, well, that's me. Um, which I, I love that. And I, like, something happens to my ear when I hear a phoniness in anything. All my reps know this too, that like, don't bullshit me about anything or so, because I get this feeling that there's something not true happening. And my mind is going to go way worse than what you could ever tell me is the truth. So just, I like straight shooting. I need it or else I feel like I'm crazy. I am completely with you. Or I just don't like to hear it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Emily, are you ready to talk to Tyler? Yeah, yeah. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Tyler, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. I'm here with Emily Hampshire. She is just awesome. It's great to meet you both. So Tyler, tell us what's going on. Yeah. So my wife and I have been married for five years. We've dated for nine and we've known each other for about, gosh, 13. And I really want to repropose to her in a way. Tyler, you have to tell us about your original proposal, which you kind of described as a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) 
This actually is very good. I have been on both ends of a proposal, so I think I can help. It's a vulnerable position. Oh, it's so vulnerable. Oh, yeah, super. Yes, all my empathy is for guys who propose. <laughs> Go forth. Sorry. So um, just to kind of paint the story, I guess, is we were both in school. I was just completing my undergrad, and she just finished her degree. And she was going to be moving out of state for a little bit because she's doing like an accelerated program, basically. And initially, I wanted to kind of throw her like a surprise going away party. And it was going to be like this really cool thing for this really good event. Then I found the perfect ring. I was like, okay, I got to do it. And then I want to do this. And just through being excited and everything, I decided that maybe we should make this like one large event. And it'll be really cool. Like, it'll just start out as, like, this surprise party for her and everything. And then I'll propose to her. And it'll be, like, this huge send-off and in front of all our friends. It'll be epic. I didn't think it all the way through, though. And not only that, it was kind of a train wreck <laughs> kind of going through on it. So it was at a local restaurant slash bar. Not the most romantic place in the world, right? I'm down and- with that. <laughs> <laughs> So the idea was everybody was going to be there and then I was going to blindfold her and just kind of drive around town and we we're going to show up. So we show up and I'm trying to, you know, guide her up to the door and get her inside. And I look around and I see like only a couple people out of just this random crowd of people. And I look at one of my buddies, I'm like, where is everybody? And he just like kind of looks around and shrugs like, I don't know. So I didn't really know what to do. So I just kind of like took her blindfold off and she's like really excited and looking around. And then she just started getting really confused. Like, why am I here? <laughs> so then I see kind of everybody in the back like waving at us. So we walked back there and there are a lot of people there and it's great. Like we still had a lot of people there and it was fun. And I got to a point where I had like this whole speech written out of just thinking for being here and we're doing this for Morgan is a great send off and she's such a great person. And then I was going to propose, like I had this whole thing written out. And right when I started getting everybody's attention, there was a speaker above us that just started playing just like loud music. Oh, no. And you're already flustered. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Nobody heard my speech. She didn't even know I was proposing to her until I got down on one knee. And and then she was like, oh, my God. She's like, did you drop something? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. It was a bummer. (laughs) So, yeah, like, we had the party and all that stuff. And then we left. And another thing I kind of dropped the ball was, like, I didn't really plan for us what to do afterwards. Like, we were both, like, kind of living with our parents and stuff, so it's not like we had, like, any alone time to kind of just, like, be with each other and kind of, I don't know, just be happy and, like, excited and everything else. So it just ended up becoming a fight a little bit. Oh, oh I'm sorry. It's okay. I wouldn't say a fight, but it was just kind of, like... A letdown. A letdown and just a realization of, like, oh, man, I, I really dropped the ball, and it was a bummer. But, I mean, she still said yes, obviously. So, I mean, it worked out. <laughs> Not obviously. I watch a lot of on YouTube. They had, she said, no's. And those are, <laughs> and also you keep saying you dropped the ball. And, like, I really don't think you did. I think you were kind of, in a way, a victim of really unfortunate circumstances. But anyways, um, to this day, does she not feel like she had a proposal that was up to her expectations were? It's not necessarily 
that, it's more on me that I'm always bummed out when people ask. Oh my God, I totally get that. Like, how did you do it? And I'm like, oh my God. So like I said, it's kind of ironic that I would put myself on a podcast to tell this story. So I don't know, <laughs> you just kind of get it over with. Never ask me again. Well, independent of your specific situation, Tyler, I have always had like a cynical view on this idea of like the surprise in terms of an engagement because it feels terrifying kind of like you're about to make the biggest decision of your life and it's a surprise (laughs) yeah in front of people (laughs) yeah and the pressure is on you know in your case like the proposer to create this grand romantic gesture so I just think the whole system works against all of us. Has your wife ever brought up the proposal or is it you that carries this kind of like, I failed? Oh, it's all me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is good news. This is great news. <laughs> yeah. This is great news. And I completely empathize with you and get this because my ex-husband did the greatest proposal of all time. And when anybody would ask me how he proposed, I was so proud to say it because he made his room into a fort for me and because we loved pillow forts and it was super simple but it was just so personal to us and great and when I proposed Mm -hmm. I was so stressed out about what to do because it had to live up to that and I know that might not sound good to people but to me it meant a lot so when I proposed to my ex-fiance I was so stressed out about that being something she would like that would be the greatest thing ever. And I think what I failed in in that was trying to make it something not as personal to us and more kind of cliched of what one should do for a proposal. And I'm so embarrassed of it now and so like... I never want anybody to ask me how I proposed. So I totally get it. And it's so stressful. And it's, I can't believe you want to do this again. Um, Because I will (laughs) never do it again. Um, The advice, though, that I would give if you're going to repropose is to really do it personal to her and what she, no matter what, because you clearly served everybody else's needs, like the family and friends and stuff. And it should be between you guys, like a, personal inside thing between you guys, I think. Definitely. I do love the idea of an intimate dinner party at a restaurant with some of those people, if she's that kind of person. I'm also, though, with Emily, I like having those moments of sentiment very intimate. And I think just in general, performers, we don't always know what to do. Do when presented with a real life performance, yeah, yeah, a real, a real <laughs> life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm so glad that your wife isn't hung up on this. I think that is just wonderful because grand romantic gestures they can be like New Year's Eve, something that's sort of bound for disappointment in some ways. Hopefully, it's just a mild disappointment. But I think it's amazing that you want to do this again. I think doing something a little bit more personal would be more ideal than kind of being in front of a group of people for sure. Like I kind of agree with you both on that. I think that'd be a really good idea. A small little detail actually is Portland was actually our honeymoon spot 
which is kind of fun that we moved, you know. <laughs> and well, one question is, do you guys have like a humor between you that like can laugh at this proposal? I just know that like the first gift I gave my ex-husband, I was so anxious about gift giving and I only knew that he loved Forrest Gump. And so I got him a Forrest Gump CD. <laughs> And we laughed about it for our entire marriage that it was the worst gift that anyone has ever given anyone. It was terrible, <laughs> but we laughed. Like, it's quite charming. What a failure. You're, <laughs> you're like, it's very charming how everything went wrong. And I think if you can embrace that to take the pressure off you, but also when you said like Portland is where you guys had your honeymoon or to me, if you, as a proposal for the rest of your life together, if you can revisit like special memory things, so you feel comfortable doing it at something between you guys and like, it's meaningful. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I considered that. Yeah. Like kind of revisiting our hot spots. I do believe in reclaiming a place. That's good. I'm into that. But I also don't want you to have too much pressure. I love the idea of this potentially being an anniversary tradition. Ooh, mm -hmm. that's so great. That'd be kind of cool. I love that. Ooh, that's a really good idea. I like that. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, good. That's really good. Good, yeah. That's a cool idea. And then you don't have to have the pressure of the singular event because you know that you get to have this opportunity every year and your wife is going to be like, oh my God, he's proposing again on my anniversary, but she'll love it and she will be able to tell all her friends, well, the first proposal was kind of shitty, but he proposes to me every year. Oh, I love <laughs> this so much. That's pretty awesome. I could probably incorporate it with uh, Emily's suggestion of the inside joke of just like maybe making it just a horrible proposal every year. <laughs> the morning of my proposal, I had wanted to get my fiance, um, her favorite thing was these bagels from this certain place, but that day they weren't delivering and I organized it so that they would deliver these bagels that you couldn't get at this other time. And the Postmates people stole the bagels and I went crazy. I was so, <laughs> I had everything planned and I was so, I was like, oh, no. because it was a whole day of everything special, like her favorite this, her favorite that, and it started the bagels. So um, there you go. Yeah, that, that feels too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how I felt on the inside. <laughs> It's so interesting to bear witness to two people who have been on the other side. And it sounds like kind of miserable. Oh, it's horrible. Especially the lead up, the stress. It's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we need to reframe this for you, too. Not just for your wife. It sounds like your wife is awesome. I think it's just incredible that you want to express your love to her over and over and like I said, I do hope that if it becomes an annual thing, then you can reframe it every time. Oh, yeah. I love taking lemons and making lemonade like Beyonce did. It's really like the best thing ever. I think this is the greatest idea. Every year you guys go to that place and I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that idea a lot. I appreciate that. Thank you. And you can decide whether or not to tell her that it's going to be an annual thing, or you could just make it an annual thing. I'm so into the annual thing that I <laughs> yeah. want to go. I want to be at the annual thing every year. <laughs> yeah, you both are invited. I'll let you know. I love it. Oh, my God. 
Tyler, I hope we helped you, and I really love it that you are a romantic gesture person. There aren't enough of you in the world. Yeah. I appreciate it. That means a lot. It really does. And yeah, just to get this kind of feedback and I don't know, you guys have both made me feel just better about, I don't know, myself with the whole thing. You made me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not alone in this yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't really thought about the other side. And I bet that there is always like a shit, that thing wasn't the right. And you don't know what will be the right thing because you feel like it's got to be the most special moment of all time. And right. and that's where you fail already. It's a lot of emotions all at once. Yeah. yeah. Tyler, I think it's amazing that you want to reframe this. And I think it's wonderful that you also remind yourself and your wife what you love about each other and what makes you work as a team and I think it's just healthy for a relationship and it's a beautiful gesture. Life is short. It yeah. is. That's what you learn in your 40s, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Tyler. Bye. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, Katie. Hi. Thank you so much for your personal letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Oh my gosh, thank you. Of course. So, you know, me and my boyfriend who have been together for about six months now and have just moved in together, we knew each other like years ago and kind of just escalated into this relationship. Just for a bit of backstory, I have only ever dated girls or trans men in my life before. I'm a bisexual woman who I've had like lots of sexual encounters with men, but this is the first time I've dated and like been in a full relationship with a cisgendered man. So it's like kind of still new to me and I love it. I love him. Um, it's been a few days now. I don't know, like maybe five or six days ago, uh, we were having sex and, you know, I asked him to go down on me and he was like, oh, you know, I don't want to right now. I didn't brush my teeth last night or this morning. So um, I don't really want to. And I was like, well, you know, I understood at the time, but then it like kind of led me to just feeling like super insecure about like myself and 
like, do I taste okay? Like, is everything okay? You know, and I just let it like bottle up in my mind for like so long. And then uh, a few days later, I was like, you know, do you like going down on me? Like, is this something that, you know, you don't enjoy doing? Because as someone who has only been with people with vaginas, it's like a main form of intimacy. You know what I mean? And I was just kind of like freaking out. But he, you know, he was able to like make me feel better about it. But I feel like it's still been like an issue. I don't know, like in my mind. And I just don't know how to like move on from that ever happening again. Cause we've talked about it and like, he loves going down on me and everything. I just don't think he understands that that exact type of intimacy is something that is so important specifically to my life and like how I understand sex. You know what I mean? Well, and also it's so intimate and vulnerable and how we taste is always in the back of our minds. Yeah. So yes, Katie, I'm totally with you. And if something like that had happened to me, it would hurt my feelings a lot. Yeah. And it's just like, I go into thinking like, oh, you know, are you a more selfish person than I thought? Because I just start like ruminating over it. And like, am I actually being selfish, you know, by wanting too much? Or, you know, am I just acting crazy? You know what I mean? And I also like, I think I can be messy too. Like, you know, female ejaculation is real. And like, I think maybe just sometimes he's a little bit overwhelmed by that. And I guess I just don't know how to react to it because I'm like, well, I'm used to this. Katie, does he get unnerved by your other sexual experiences? It doesn't seem like he has been. um, But I will say, like, he's very aware of the fact that I've only been with people with vaginas in the past. And he's very aware of that. And I think that maybe he has in the past, like when we first started dating, but... It maybe hasn't come up recently, but I think that was something he might have been insecure about before. Yeah. Do you think that he thinks that he's skilled at it? I think he thinks so. And I I also think that he's learned a lot by dating me. And because, I mean, he's been with a lot of girls, but I think uh, it's easy for straight girls to just fall into the pattern of normal, like heterosexual sex where it's like, you know, you don't ask for a lot. Right. And maybe I am someone who has been asking for more. That's why I bet you're an awesome lover. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I was thinking of so much is that like just the fact that you brought it up, that you said anything. And I know for myself that, I only ever started asking for anything after I was with a woman. Right. And a woman who was asking for stuff herself. And I'm like, I was brought up that asking for something is rude. You wait until you're offered. um, Or you fake. Or you fake. And and that's what a lot of straight girls are taught. And I, I lost my virginity to a woman. So it's like, I guess I've just been more aware of like my body and what I react to and, you know, what other women like. And I, I'm lucky in that way. You know, like I'm glad that I know that. This guy's lucky. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the female ejaculation, though, because when I read your letter, I was dying to know what is this full day cleanup that he needs? Like this Dexter, like, like right. not even a serial killer needs this much full day to clean up after going down on you. And now I, right. I mean, I don't understand. It doesn't need a full day. Exactly. And like, I think, I think that when he said that, it might have just been like a defense thing because he was like, oh, you're accusing me of not enjoying this. But I think he also doesn't understand that, like, yes, female ejaculation is something that, like, I I absolutely love it and it's great, but that's not a requirement. I just think that there's a lot more that he has to learn about the vagina itself, too. You know what I mean? And I just don't want to ever, like, have any kind of resentment towards him because I'm, like, I know more than him about 
my body. You know what I mean? Like, I still love having sex with him and everything has always been great. I just, I don't know. Here are the things to keep in mind, I think. The relationship is still relatively young at six months. He could be slightly intimidated by the lovers that you've had in the past. I think a lot of people get like that. I think we all at some point sort of question if we're like skilled or good or, you know, or how we rank right. the comparison. Like how has the communication gone? Have you been able to sort of articulate the stuff that you told us with him very well? I think so. I will say I do struggle so much with communicating these types of insecurities because like, I don't want him to think that I don't think I'm good enough because I know that I am. And I I hate coming off as insecure. Like that's something that I just have always hated coming off as because then, you know, that manifests into something like, I don't want to be looked at like someone who needs constant reassurance or, you know, talking to, but I have tried my best to communicate all these things with him and he's so well at responding and he's such like an emotional person. So I'm really lucky, but I do think I have work to put in to like be able to further communicate more things in the future. You know what I mean? Because it was hard for me. It was really hard for me. I was wondering if his past relationships, had they ever been with bi women or are you the first woman he's been with who's been with other women? So I know at least that he's been with one other bisexual woman. There might have been more, but I think that I'm probably the only girl he's been with that has never been in a cis hetero relationship. So I guess that makes it a little bit different. Yeah. And I might be totally wrong about this because you're a different generation than me, but like I would be surprised if most women he's been with have been as communicative as you in, because it's impressive. Like, it's very impressive. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I wonder if that's, like, intimidating in a way, too, because there is this, I only realized this after I was with women, this fragile male ego around that. Yeah. Because also, it's weird considering... You know, at the beginning of this call, you said you were wondering, like, do I smell? Do I taste good? And as women, we're advertised that, like, you need a deodorant thing. You, There's no, like, penis deodorizer. There's no, like, any of that. So we're (laughs) made to feel kind of insecure, like we've got problems down there. Right. So I feel like somebody who's just so confidently talking about her awesome pussy is like, (laughs) I don't think he knows what to do with it. Like, right. Yeah. And, you know, I've never really thought about that. Like, I guess I see myself as, you know, I'm very open and, you know, I talk about everything. And even when I struggle with it, I try my best to talk about everything. And you're right. Like he probably hasn't experienced that with girlfriends before. And and that's like you said, like we're all kind of just brought up to not ask questions or not say anything about stuff down there, even when we are confident in ourselves, you know, and like we're even saying down there. Like, we're saying down there because that's how we're raised. And so what was his and or is his reaction when you have talked to him about this? Like, what is his reaction? Right. So, like, when I first brought this up to him, it was probably, like, bad timing. I'm, you know, I was just, like, we were in bed. We had had a few drinks. We were, like, really tired. 
And I was just like, Hey, you know, do you really enjoy going down on me? Cause this is like an important like topic. And like, you kind of made it seem like you didn't the other day and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And like, I do think he got a little bit defensive and that's when it kind of led to like an argument. And I was just like, well, you're selfish. Like you're being really selfish. And he kind of like, I don't think he really knew how to react. And he was like, no, like I, you, you taste fantastic. Like everything is fine. Like, you know, it was that situation only. And like, I didn't feel prepared at the time. And, and then like, you know, after that night, when we kind of just let it boil over into like a end of discussion, he did talk to me again. And he was like, very apologetic about the way he reacted. And I don't know, I, I always had this feeling though, that he wasn't just like being fully open and like honest in a reaction with me. But I think that might have just been me internalizing some kind of fear. I don't know. But I know everything is fine. And I know he loves going down on me and everything. I just, I guess maybe he is just a little bit like paranoid about maybe the way he's doing it. I, I really don't know. Like, I feel like maybe I still haven't gotten all the answers from him, but I don't know. Okay. Thinking out loud. You know how you mentioned you didn't necessarily want to lead with any kind of insecurity. I would have a discussion with him when the timing is right. It is always about timing. So if you guys are relaxed and there isn't anything loaded, because it sounded like earlier you were both kind of coming from two vulnerable places. And then it's just like, ah, because I think that right now it does kind of have to be reframed. Yeah, it definitely it does. Yeah. Because it's hurting you and he's probably insecure about what he's doing, like approaching it with extreme gentleness, mm-hmm. which means you may have to be a little vulnerable. Yeah, I know. I just feel like that ends up biting me in the ass, you know, in the past. But I, I know that I can be with, vulnerable with him. I would say that too. I would say like, you probably know this about me. It's hard for me to be vulnerable because I've been tough and especially in this arena. But I was thinking that too, that I think saying exactly what you said, that I'd never want to be seen as like not confident. And I'm worried about bringing this up and talking because I don't want it to be taken that way. But it did make me feel that way. But I was thinking the same thing as you, Anna, that I don't know where you can go from here now that it's a thing, right? Because if I was in either of your positions, I'd be like, well, now it's the big moment. Um, right. right. So I feel like you kind of can lean into that. If you guys can either, again, this is just personal to me. I always feel like approaching something with either humor or education of like fun right. education. Like you're going to teach him. Right, right. Make it a new game because I don't think you can go from here not making it something. <laughs> yeah, like I totally agree with y'all about reframing it and like just reloading it because like, yes, I do feel better about it, but I'm almost just like waiting. I'm just like, you know, the next time like we have sex, like how is it going to go? And like overthinking it and just feeling fucking crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. And Katie, you can come from a place of generosity too, because it sounds like when I first read your letter, I was thinking, oh boy, like, I don't think this is good for her. But you guys clearly love each other. You want this to work. And I would also be generous in the sense of, like, I want you to teach me how to go down on you. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. show me exactly what you like. And then the dialogue hopefully will flow both ways. That way he won't feel like fuck, I'm just not good at this. Or, yeah. or if he's feeling those things, which I think a lot of men do. So maybe you can come from that place as well. Yeah, like it's 
like a sexy place. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I want you to be as specific as possible. You yeah. know, yeah. like, do you For like all this? women? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, I think that that would take off so much of like the pressure of just like you know worrying about it, and that's all I really want is just for us to like have a good time and feel good, and that's like the baseline, you know. And we do love each other so much, and like this is definitely the healthiest relationship I've ever had. That is great. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. So like, I know that this is something that, you know, can be worked out and I feel so good with him all the time. I just, it makes sense that, you know, as a man, he's going to have issues with understanding exactly what a woman who's been around so many like women wants. And I guess I just didn't think that that would ever be a problem because I thought, oh, you know, like I know everything, like but I don't, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I love, Katie, it sounds like you're totally prepared to reframe this into something fun and healthy for you guys and hopefully brings you even closer together. Yeah. Right. Like, I know he likes it. I guess it's just like, maybe he was feeling insecure and maybe that's a common thing that I've been missing. And, you know, maybe I haven't been communicating with him well in that way. So I think you're totally, totally right. And so it's this (laughs) one time that you asked him and he didn't feel right about, and it was funny that he was like, I haven't brushed my teeth. Like, right. (laughs) Like, okay. If that really was honestly how he's feeling, maybe he was feeling like he would be the best then. So it has nothing to do with you if he's all like, sit on my face. That's what I think. And honestly, like, I think I just took it so personally that, you know, it affected me in such a different way when I didn't even really think about, you know, where was he coming from in that moment? And that was probably a little bit selfish of me too, you know, to just be like, what does he not like about me in this moment in time? But yeah, that's true. If you can reverse it too and think if he had asked you one time, go down on me. And at that moment, you weren't feeling, I don't know. I'm lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm just so used to like being to a certain degree selfless in bed that I'm, I'm always the type of person who's like, I feel better when you're feeling better. Like I get off on other people's pleasure, which not to say that he doesn't either. I guess that's just like, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, well then you don't feel that way? You know what I mean? Like, you don't get off on making me feel good? Like, what the fuck, you know? No, he totally does. (laughs) I really like the idea of you telling him what you like and asking him what he likes. But also, just for right now, as you guys are kind of restructuring this, I would avoid talking about your previous experiences, which might intimidate him. I would focus more on being open in your communication, and you might need to be a little patient too. Right. And I think that's what I did wrong at first because I was like, you know, I've been with all these girls before and like, it was never a problem. And I think that's when he got a little bit defensive. And I totally, you're you're totally right. Yeah. So shove that aside for now. Right. So he's not in a comparison mindset. Mm -hmm. And instead of having a serious conversation, maybe you can make it sexy, you know, and it can lead somewhere fun. Yeah, because I, 
I do. And like, I love where your mind is going and just like turning it from like a little gentle conversation to like something like can have fun, like sexy together. Like, cause that's, that's what I want. It's going to be like the hottest night of your life. I am already turned on. Yes. <laughs> like that would be the ideal situation, you know, and I would love that so much. <laughs> yeah. It's been a time, I think, of a lot of reflection of our past and mm pressure about the future. Yeah. Like everyone is like, well, decisions have to be made. Where am I going? I don't know. And I think that just being right here right now is what I'd like to kind of emphasize to everybody, including myself. I love it that you just want to have a loving, fun time because fuck life is short. I know. Like that's really all I fucking want, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Katie, does this sound good to you? Yes, it does. And y'all have given, like made me feel so much better because I really did just feel like I wasn't communicating enough. But I think that I am just not maybe in the right ways. Like when you said he probably hasn't experienced that type of communication with girls before, I didn't even think about that and like how important my role is in this as well, you know, in this situation. And I really appreciate it, y'all. I, I feel so much better and I so much better. I so appreciate you bringing this so great. No kidding, Katie. Thank you because I know we'll get a lot of response. And even just being able to talk about this, I know it's going to help a lot of people just to having dialogue about it. Yeah. And Katie, like I said, the one important piece of advice that I would give you is keep it on YouTube and your future. Yeah. Oh, Katie, please like know that you have just given us something and our listeners something. Yeah. I love you guys so much. I love you too, Katie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. How do you get such great guests? Oh, I feel so lucky. Truly, our callers have always been really vulnerable. Oh. And it has been like the honor of my career. Yeah, like these people, I am so interested in thing, and they're being so open and they're like really cool people. And I want to be like friends with both of them. So, yeah. You gave tremendous advice to both of our callers, but... In Katie, it made me think about in my 20s, especially in my teen years when I was first having sex and I was with my first boyfriend and it wasn't a great relationship, but I was in love. I was in love. He was the cutest guy at my high school and I couldn't believe he liked me. So I was in a power dynamic that wasn't equal at all. Mm -hmm. So when I first was having sex, I was incredibly self-conscious of being very inexperienced. When did you become more sexually confident? It's really interesting because she really affected me in her confidence to bring it up. So I would say when I started sleeping with women, because before that, everything in my sexual relationships with men was I never thought about what, what I liked, what I wanted. It was that I wanted to be amazing in everything he wanted. And so it never even occurred to me 
of thinking of a sexual experience in me having pleasure, even though like I did at certain things, but like I never really even knew what that was until I was with a woman who, I mean, on our first date, brought out a vibrator and was like, I like this and I like that. And I was like, oh my God, you can can say these things? And And you know those things? And you know those (laughs) things? And it's weird because I think I used to have a big sexual confidence with men because I felt like I knew what I could do for you. And this is all in my teenage, 20-year-old, whatever head of like, I will figure out whatever it is you like and I will be the best at it. (laughs) And that was what sex was to me. So I was pretty confident there. But then that was coming from a complete insecurity of like everything else about me. So I think it was when I was with women who showed me their confidence. And that's why I feel like Katie affected me so much is like, I think it's so important for people like that to be role models. Like I look to that and I want to be like that now. You can articulate what you need and want and you are reasonable. And so therefore you should be able to expect those things. Yeah. For me, it's realizing that on the other side of it, I find that attractive. I find it attractive that she says that. I don't want someone who's going to be like, oh, whatever. Uh, I like what you like. Like, it is attractive to have a self, which I think, especially as an actor, when you grow up in it, yourself is just whatever anybody else wants. Emily, will you tell us about your project? (laughs) What drew you to the role? Wasn't that question always like, it was a job that I got? (laughs) Exactly. Thrilled. Yeah. That question was always like, what, I was going to say no and not work? But what has been great about Schitt's Creek is that it has allowed me, and I don't take this for granted because I've been an actor who has not gotten offers, but I've been given more choice. Like, I can now say yes to this and no to that. But this actually came to me in such an amazing way that I kind of couldn't say no to it. Not that I wanted to, but I just sold my own show that I'm a writer on for the first time. And I was reading Stephen King's book called On Writing. He wrote a book about writing. It's great. And I got in my inbox this script and my role in this Stephen King adaptation, Chapel Wait, is a writer in a Stephen King adaptation in the 1850s. And so I was like, this is the universe saying, like, do this. But also what I loved was that it's an adaptation of a Stephen King story set in the 1850s. It's a gothic horror. And what I love is that my character kind of goes into this story in the guise of being a governess to get into this house in order to get inspo for her book. Oh, I can't wait. That sounds so great. So yeah, it's on Epics and it's with Academy Award winner Adrian Brody. And yeah, it's really, if you like Stephen King, you will definitely be satisfied. Okay, two different questions. One, what was something in On Writing by Stephen King that you really digested? And two, what would be the best advice in general that you ruminate on that you've experienced in your life? Okay, so from the book, it's the simplest thing, but it's like, write and then put it away and come back to it. And 
it was something that I'd done before, maybe once by accident, that I came back to something like a month later and I was like, oh, this is not as good as I thought it was or whatever, is giving yourself that distance from it and like just write without judgment, let yourself do that and make it a practice on a daily basis. But the thing that I now put into practice is the put it away and come back to it later, later, later. And the best advice... I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I don't know that this is advice, though, but it's something I always think about as an actor. And it's this quote, and I don't even know who it's from, but it's just because it's fiction doesn't mean it's not true. And that I think of all the time in acting. Like even when we were ending Schitt's Creek, people were always like, was it hard to leave the show and all that? And honestly, what was hard was these relationships that we'd formed as a cast was so difficult to leave. But also like Stevie, my character, and Mr. Rose, who is Eugene's character, that relationship, it's a fictional story, but that relationship was true and it was affecting and those kinds of things. So yeah. And then I also think sometimes I say the truest things in fiction because you can, because you're not you. (laughs) Have you ever been given terrible advice? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, it's only terrible to me now in retrospect and now that things have changed in the world. But when I was a younger actor, I was a teenager growing into a woman. And uh, my agent at the time was like, you have to either lose weight or gain weight. You can only be the skinny hot girl or I'll support you being the fat girl. And what I think was terrible advice about that, obviously we know it's very clear what's bad about that, but there's another layer of it that I think I used to put my talent and stuff into what I looked like, my weight or something like that. And now I realize when you're on the other side of it sometimes, like I'm looking to cast people and it so doesn't matter if you go in there and you show yourself. That will change the world. People will cast you as a little, you're a little heavier or you're a little, whatever your special thing that's different that might be kind of thought of as a hindrance to your career, I think is the special thing. Like I know that my career changed when I put on some weight. I got character parts. I got great parts and not the girlfriend anymore. So I guess that. I wasn't too vocal that I remember about being disappointed if I didn't get a role, but my dad would say, you're like this really beautiful chair but they already have their beige sofa, they already have their coffee table, and they're kind of bland carpet. There isn't room for this chair. Oh my God, I love that analogy. I know, it comforted me a lot. Because that amazing designer, fantastic quality chair doesn't go in a room with all Ikea beige. I love Ikea, actually. But like all like, that's such great advice. Yeah, they already had the furniture set. (laughs) Yes, I love your dad. Emily, you are just incredible. Thank you so much. I'm very, very glad I did this and I got so much out of it. Thank you so much. Emily, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye.